It's the morning show on 95.3 WBCK. And here's Tim Collins. 809 now, 95.3 WBCK. A little later on in the hour, we'll uh, talk to Scott, get a preview of tomorrow's radio free Hillsdale hour. Program comes your way at 6 o'clock Saturday mornings. And also, we'll talk to Amanda McCrary, the Common Citizen Job Fair happening today. She is the Chief Citizen Officer or uh, Head of HR. We'll get the lowdown on that. State Representative Jim Hodsma is here for our monthly visit. Good morning, Jim. Good morning. How are you, Tim? I'm doing great. It's uh, kind of fall-like out there, isn't it? <laughs> it? It is remarkably after the heat we had through... I think uh, last week Sunday. Maybe I'm off on my weeks, but uh, it seems remarkably refreshing. Yes, I, I have to agree. I'm much happier in this kind of weather. That's for sure. It's one of my favorite times of the year. Uh, so yesterday, the uh, the president uh, giving these vaccine directives, and uh, it looks like any uh, federal worker is going to be required to have uh, vaccinations. And uh, even private businesses that have 100 employees or more are going to have to also be vaccinated. Um, your thoughts on all of that? Well, I think as the president indicated, uh, the administration and our nation's leaders have been very patient, and their patience is wearing thin, as he put it. And uh, it's time to be more aggressive in relation to this pandemic. Uh, when we have the tools to confront the pandemic, uh, we have the ability to get past this. And I think uh, sometimes the public good to avoid further deaths, to avoid further shutdowns, uh, is something which uh, must be predominant in relation to some uh, contention that one cannot have a vaccine which has been proven safe and proven effective. Are you saying that all of that uh, then the, uh, the the public good outweighs uh, the, the right to a free society to to make these choices, these very personal choices? There are balancing tests when we consider um, how we live in a civilized. Uh, society and uh, in my opinion uh, the balancing test is in favor of a mandate when in fact uh, people's lives are at risk uh, people's future health in context of long-term covid is at risk our economy is at risk our kids education uh, opportunities are at risk so from my perspective if you do a cost-benefit analysis the cost of having a vaccine for any single individual is modest. Uh, the cost of continuing to resist vaccination is very significant given what we've experienced with this uh, additional wave uh, we're, we're going through presently. So uh, from my perspective, um, it is something that had to be done in order to get uh, this pandemic uh, done and passed. It'll be interesting to see what will happen, uh, putting on my uh, lawyer cap for a moment, with uh, these uh, lawsuits that are going to be raised by states like South Dakota uh, and um, whether, in fact, uh, justices uh, in the Supreme Court, because I think this kind of question will ultimately be decided there, um, 
will concur, but uh, that will be interesting to see. That was, that was exactly what I was going to ask you, you know, your perspective from a legal standpoint, since uh, you are an attorney. The, uh, so, so how would that work, then, if there are lawsuits? Does that mean that everything gets put on hold until it's settled, then? Uh, or are employers going to be bound by this directive right now? It's too early for me to tell in my modest role as a lawyer practicing workers' disability comp and Social Security disability. Um, I don't practice uh, these kinds of constitutional privacy uh, law kinds of issues. I'm, I'm not a law professor, but uh, my perception is that uh, more likely than not, um, there probably will not be injunctive relief given by a federal district court. And uh, then I think that there will be additional um, appellate uh, opportunities for a state like South Dakota to go to its uh, court of appeals in the federal system. And then ultimately, as I indicated, I think this will land in the um, U.S. Supreme Court. But I don't think uh, that South Dakota or some private party is going to get injunctive relief. But it's really too early to tell. Injunctive relief meaning there will be a stay on the uh, mandate from uh, the executive branch of the government until um, there are more opportunities to be heard um, by lawyers in a court and more opportunities for a trial on the on the merits. What's the latest uh, on progress to hash out a state budget? Because we're kind of getting down to the wire, aren't we? Back in 2019, um, I and I think the great majority of my then colleagues passed a bill which mandated that we um, get the October 1 through September 30 budget for the following autumn passed by July 1. We enacted that law um, and the Republican colleagues of mine in the state house I think significantly if not unanimously voted for that bill. Uh, Remarkably to me, we've had a summer in which uh, we haven't, that is, the members of the House haven't been called back to act on um, ensuring that we get the budget done in time by that uh, July 1 deadline. Uh, We're now uh, in the second week of September. You're right, uh, October 1 begins the new um, budget year. And this is a time when we have all these additional resources through uh, COVID relief dollars from the federal government. So it's continuously remarkable to me that we do things in the state legislature, which always seem to me like how some students back when I was in college, once in a while I was one of them, uh, managed to get prepared for our end of semester um, exams, and that is cram at the last minute. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't understand the procrastination other than sometimes it's done for political reasons. Maybe it's done for members' summer um, recess reasons, but we should have had this done um, more than two months ago, and we're coming back, and again, in a time when, when we have plenty of dollars to distribute, once more, we're back doing this at, at the last minute and probably coming back uh, even into late this year and doing supplementals. 
Yeah, it, it's frustrating, uh, Representative Hodsma, because, you, as you say, we have a pattern of doing that. And then what happens? You end up in a, a marathon 20-hour session where you pass things at 3 o'clock in the morning and a bunch of half-assed stuff gets done. I don't understand why it, it continues to be the pattern other than mores are reproduced. It doesn't make sense to me. It's not how one would run a private business. It's not how one would run a law firm. So uh, it's not how one would litigate a client's case. It's it's remarkable to me that, and again, I indicate we have these COVID dollars. It's remarkable to me that we do things like this time and time again. It would make more sense if there were a scarcity of dollars and right. there was a lot of um, angst that had to be gone through in terms of what had to be cut. It makes no sense to me when we have uh, a cornucopia of dollars. Well, and all all of that uh, ARPA funds, all of that uh, COVID dollars aside, uh, somehow we're still actually uh, doing well. I mean, tax revenues continue to increase in Michigan. So you're right. I mean, there's plenty of money out there. I, couldn't uh, one side, you know, maybe offer a concession like, all right, let's do a tax cut if you'll go along with all the stuff that we want here and, and maybe get to some kind of compromise? I think one uh, side could do that in relation to the other. Right now, I don't sense that there are any overtures in that context uh, that are going on at the House appropriations level. Uh, I think that it's important for the Senate and House appropriations committees to get together with the governor and get this done. Um, If those are the sides that you mean, yes, they have to accomplish this and uh, it doesn't make sense to come back and do it in a marathon session in late September. Yeah, so it looks like right now we're headed for another September 30th all-nighter for you guys uh, to hammer out a bunch of stuff that uh, may or may not be well thought through. I would hope not. Um, I would hope that we're going to accomplish a lot in the next two weeks. Uh, Senator Bison is on the Senate Appropriations Committee, and he can perhaps give you some insight or has given you some insight in relation to what's happening on the Senate side. But I would hope that we would uh, do this lift, and it's not a heavy lift right now because of the plentifulness of dollars. We would do this lift in the next two weeks and not do it uh, late at night or just before a weekend uh, in late September. It makes it very difficult on the governor, as we saw in 2019, if she gets a budget presented to her um, on the weekend of, of September, uh, uh, last weekend of September, because then she has to go through that really and make tough decisions on what to veto and, and what to leave in uh, on a weekend before an October 1 deadline. State Representative Jim Hodsma is with us right now in the studio. I wanted to ask you before time gets away from me, uh, you know, tomorrow's the 20th anniversary of 9-11. Do you remember where you were? Yes, I was uh, working on a a brief, which is a lot of work uh, for those who practice law. Uh, uh, They well know that. And I was working on a brief that was due... I believe that that next day. So I was uh, kind of buried and blockaded in a conference room uh, preparing, and uh, staff came in and uh, told me about what had happened. Um, Unfortunately, there aren't opportunities or assurances that you're going to have your 
um, brief deadline extended because of uh, something that happened in New York City and Pennsylvania, so I had to continue to soldier on. But yes, I was uh, in my law office that day. Um, and what I remember most in the days that followed were a couple things. Um, Festival of the Forks went on in Albion that Saturday. Uh, mm-hmm. 9-11-2001 happened on a Tuesday, and Festival of the Forks went on on a brilliant uh, sunny day in Albion on a Saturday. But it was absolutely somber, but it was kind of the first time anybody had put her his head up, at least around here, too much uh, since probably the, the early Tuesday morning before that happened. I also remember early the following week there was a city commission candidate debate down at the McQuiston Center, and Bobby Holly was one of the candidates running, I think he was running for Ward 2 that year, and he led an impromptu uh, rendering of God Bless America. Mm-hmm. So in a context of uh, a McQuiston Center uh, debate uh, with everyone um, vying for winning an election in a city commission context, that odd-numbered year in uh the next November, Bobby had everyone um, uh, hands held uh, surrounding the perimeter of the McQuiston Center singing God Bless America. You know, 20 years ago, uh, you know, we put our differences aside. We were able to unify as a country over that tragedy, and we haven't been able to do that with this pandemic. Uh, if that had happened again, uh, I mean, do you think the, the country would be able to come together or not? I think it would. Um, I think that uh, there is a difference between what people could tangibly see on their uh, television screens back um, on September 11, 2001, and what uh, they're not able to see and therefore have to trust science to enlighten them in context of what happened in 2020 and 2021. So in my perception, I think if anything like that were to happen, um, I I do believe that we would be as unified as a country as we were briefly in uh, September 2001. And I think you hit it on the head, uh, Jim. The, The science isn't tangible to so many people in the country as you know, we could see on, on our TV screens that we were clearly under attack uh, from an evil regime, and that pulled us together. But now it's just not cut and dry. So, uh, you know, I, I want to ask you before I, I get you out of here too about the Indep- Michigan's Independent Redistricting Commission. I know that uh, they've been trying to get you know bids for somebody to actually represent them and legally. Have they actually been able to do that yet? Well, uh, they've put out the bids. Uh, deadlines have come and gone. Uh, the difficulty is there aren't a lot of lawyers or law firms which specialize in this kind of um, representation, how to yeah. uh, advocate for or against uh, voting districts' um, boundaries uh, being set. So consequently, it, it's remarkable that... Um, a law firm, I think the only law firm, um, this was a few weeks ago, which had bid by by that time, was a law firm which had in the past been a champion of gerrymandering, the very gerrymandering that uh, 
the uh, Independent uh, Citizens Redistricting Commission activities are supposed to avoid. And that's the uh, law firm out of state, uh, one which had been very active in gerrymandering, advocating for huh. gerrymandering uh, in places like Virginia, which which bid. Um, last I knew, there was an extension of time to gather more bids, but it's kind of like a lawyer who does... Uh, say domestic relations law being asked to bid on something that involves patent uh, it's it's a remarkable niche kind of practice uh, that's uh, sought out in these kinds of redistricting uh, representation context and to get a uh, firm that is um, sufficiently qualified to do that is, is really hard hard to find it's it's going to be like finding a needle in a haystack so they, they may be a force to um hire a fox to guard the hen hen house as it said could could it also be that no law firm wants to touch this piece of junk law with a 10-foot pole because uh, now it's coming out that uh, the independents on the redistricting commission two of them obviously weren't vetted because now they're coming out with extreme left-wing views. I don't know why uh, law firms would be resistant. I think that most relevantly it's it's because of absence of expertise or absence of horsepower in the roster of the law firms to, to do that work. Um, but, yeah, it's not a firm – it's not a project that a firm, say – of the size of one of our larger ones in the Calhoun County area, uh, you know, they're typically mm. about five or eight in number, uh, is going to take on. So it's going to have to be a, a large firm with some um, department yep. that's sufficiently qualified to take this on. Well, I get that part then. But, uh, I mean, are you concerned about the, the way it's working? I mean, the vetting process for... You know, the commission, I mean, how is that done? Is that something the legislature needs to get involved in and make sure that we do properly vet uh, people that, you know, say they're independents and then we find out that they obviously weren't? I mean, if we can find some athlete or, or, or entertainer who said a bad word on Twitter, you know, 10 years ago, why can't we find out? <laughs> that that some of these people are not representing themselves as independents in an honest way. Well, I am concerned about the process insofar as it's um, seemed to go by fits and starts so far, and it's not gone as programmed. So, for example, uh, it was to be done in uh, a certain um, programmatic way um, as outlined in at the late summer, and it turns out they did stuff very differently than and scripted and went off script. And uh, at least preliminary boundaries set in uh, the Calhoun County area um, don't seem to take communities of interest yet uh, in in mind, and that's one of their mandates. So uh, we'll see where this process goes. It's obviously. Um, a very uncertain time, not just for residents, but too for the politicians who do represent them or wish to represent them because you don't know, and it's going to be very late in the season, it's back to the budget kind of issue. Uh, you don't know, uh, if you're a politician, in what district you're going to be running. And that makes yeah. it very complicated to make tough decisions about campaign. Yeah, it, it certainly uh, hasn't. 
quite work the way it was designed. Uh, Representative Hosma, thanks very much for your time today. We'll talk to you again soon. Tim, I look forward to it. Thanks. Have a great weekend.